0: Hey, Colleen, how are you? I'm good, Rolanda. How are you? I'm so amazing today. It's actually Labor Day when we're taping this. Mm -hmm. But we are going to be releasing our first sewed. So we're really glad um, to get a chance to chat with everyone and let them listen in on our conversation. So, Colleen, why don't you explain to everybody exactly what a mini-sode is? Because we just basically made that up. We
1: made it up. But it's basically just Rolanda and I being ourselves and chatting about everything that we chat about. But instead of just having it on our phones or over text, we're doing it as a recording.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's a great way to keep our listeners up to date on things that we have going on in our lives and also a form of accountability to what our running goals are for the year.
1: Yeah. And this year they've changed a lot, specifically for me. And I'd love to like chat a little bit about that with Rolanda. So I'll start first. I think I'm going to ask you some questions sure. um, about some things that I know are going on in your life and you can share whatever that is you want. I'm excited. Yeah. So Rolanda's recently engaged Yay! <laughs> to a lovely human named Joe.
0: Such a nice guy. Yes. We actually got engaged Memorial Day weekend. So it's been a couple months. Mm-hmm. What was the engagement like? Well, you mean when he proposed? Yeah. Yes. I went on a run with some of my friends. He was actually was visiting in town because he's not living here right now. So he visited me. So we were having like a little vacation weekend. I went on a run at Rockefeller State Park in New York, which is gorgeous with some of my teammates. And I came back to our house where we were staying and he proposed to me in my parents' kitchen. And I was not expecting it. We were basically going to spend the day like just out and about. He was going to take off from work and we were just going to like explore in New York. And I wanted to show him what true New York was like, because when he was here, he didn't really get to do that. And uh, yeah, he proposed to me. I was not expecting it at all. We were going on a vacation, supposedly to Chile in the fall. And you convinced me that he was going to do it there. I was like, it's romantic. (laughs) Right, right, right. I I thought so. Yeah. And I was like, in my head, I was like planning for this Chile vacation. I was like, I'm going to get my hair done. I'm going to buy like a whole new wardrobe. And lo and behold, I was in running clothes, sweaty in my mom's kitchen. But it was really, really special. Like he wanted it to be just us because it's really me and him who are going to be in this relationship. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to do it in public and put me in a position where I felt like I had to say yes. So it was very intimate between us two. Yeah. And it ended up being a really special day. Like we went out to Brooklyn, we went to Dumbo and Williamsburg and just had like a blast. And I think out of all the people my mom and you were the only people who I messaged that day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I saw there oh, was a picture of a hand. I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, my God, it's early. But I think that's really beautiful, too, just to do it in your family house. And it's very personal. Mm-hmm. And there's like a lot of love involved. It's not like a show thing. It's just about you and him and your love.
0: Yeah, no, it was really good. And I think I didn't want to reach out to people only because... His time in New York was very limited. He was just there for the holiday weekend. And like, once you start telling people, you just spend your whole day on the phone, just like contacting. And we just wanted to be in the moment and just spend time together. But I had to tell someone. So obviously I reached out to you.
1: (laughs) No, I'm so excited. And then after that, we had this beautiful engagement and we did. And it was on your birthday. On my birthday. And I was so happy because Johnny was in Budapest. And of course, I support that event. I knew it was how how important it was to him. And although he was missing my birthday and Ronan's first, we did celebrate early, but I was like, oh, what am I gonna do on my birthday? And then wow, a celebration of love for Rolanda. <laughs> yeah. came up. And it was like the perfect day to celebrate love. And you were so kind. You got me that little
0: birthday cake. I didn't even oh, know I got for the people next door. Yeah. So <laughs> basically <laughs> for the engagement dinner, I had Colleen there and one of my other really great friends, Danny, come. And it was just really nice because the first time you guys met my family. Yeah. So it was just really special. Even Joe's parents came out. Mm-hmm. So it was just really awesome. But it was Colleen's birthday, and I wanted to make it special for her. And I wanted to do something that was a surprise. We got her and my cousin Jordan a cake because it was both of their birthdays. Colleen didn't even know we were saying ha- happy birthday for her. Yeah. She's like texting on her phone, yes. like, oh, this is a nice moment. And then we're like, <laughs> I'm sick of to happy and Jordan. <laughs> And she was so excited. It was unexpected. We just wanted to put a smile on their faces. And it was a really pretty moment. It was
1: so beautiful. Your family is so beautiful. (laughs) Thank Um, you. I felt like part of the family. And it was such a beautiful celebration of love. Karen did such Karen is Rolanda's mom, did such an amazing job with the details, like the tic-tac with Rolanda and Joe's engagement and the wooden name placeholders for everyone's play. There's so many little details. It was so beautiful.
0: Yeah, so we also played this ring game. Anytime someone said wedding or like engagement, you had to like take the person's ring and whoever had the most at the end of the night won a prize. Colleen is still wearing her ring.
1: Yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing my own ring and Rolanda's engagement party ring. And I think it looks great together. And you've
0: get, you've been getting
1: compliments.
0: I've been getting compliments on though. <laughs> it looks
1: good. It's a, it's a beautiful set. <laughs> so let's talk about Joe and Atlanta and, you know, what's going on for you and your future. So Joe moved to Atlanta for a job. Joe, Rolanda's fiance, moved to Atlanta for a job. And I know you were going back and forth about what are you going to do? And I think now you've made the decision about.
0: Yeah. So a lot of people know that I'm not in New York full time since I decided to move in August. I've actually spent more time in New York than I'm in Atlanta. So it's still a transition. You know, it's really hard because finding a running community like New York anywhere else is nearly impossible. And like here you have so many clubs, but then you have a lot of people in their thirties and above that are running still super competitively and they're balancing multiple things. You don't get that in other cities. Atlanta's been an adjustment. I have discovered Atlanta Run Club, which they have like hundreds of members and they, I think there's like three runs a week, Monday night, Thursday night and Saturday mornings. So I've been meeting up with them as much as I can. But there's also some like individual local runners that are training at a high level. One of them is training for the marathon Olympic trials in February. And another one has extended her season. So she's like in really good shape right now. So yeah, it's just getting used to a new city, getting acquainted with other runners and also learning new training places like new trails and Mm -hmm. things like that. So it's an adjustment, but I'm really excited for what this year is going to look like. For me, I felt like I needed a break from New York. So this is nice to be able to spend amounts of time like somewhere. Also, my parents' house is here. So like when I'm in town, like I have a place to stay. And my job is based in New York. So I definitely have to be here. I have a fair amount. So it's going to be an adjustment, but I'm really excited about it. I think it's the perfect transition
1: because your family's here. Mm-hmm. So you can always come back. Your job is based in New York. So you will kind of like split the time yeah. um, and transition slowly to Atlanta. And I think that, like what you said, is so true. Like there's nothing like New York City run community. You're slowly like learning more about Atlanta, Mm -hmm. the run community there, the culture there, and still able to dip your feet and come back to New York whenever you want. Exactly,
0: exactly. You know, it's really awesome. So transitioning over to you, I know you just celebrated a birthday. Mm -hmm. Ronan just turned one. So how is little baby Ro and Izzy doing? They're doing great. Having a one-year-old is
1: really hard. It's beautiful. I mean, he is such a beautiful baby, but it it is hard to be brutally honest. I think it was a lot easier when he was a little bit younger and he wasn't as mobile. So now he's crawling Mm. everywhere. He's almost walking. He's into everything. Like you cannot keep your eyes off him for one second. Like he will be across the room, in the garbage, in the dog food, crawling on the couch, crawling on the bed. So it's a lot. And also he's eating real foods now. So before oh. it was just milk. And now it's three meals a day. So it's preparing meals for him and watching him eat. It's not like how we It takes like an hour for this kid to eat really and chew. And oh my God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the whole event.
1: <laughs> so there's a lot going on, but it's beautiful to celebrate all his milestones. And Izzy's so great with him. She's Aww. so great with him. I think for anything, I'm a little worried about him because he's a little strong with his hands. So like, learned teaching him how to be like soft with the dog and be more just easy with the dog and not try to pull the tail and stuff. So we're already teaching him him those things. But she's great. And she's like such a good little like guard dog with him. So it's great. It's great. He's still not sleeping through the night. I think I'm the only one who has a one year old who hasn't sleep through the night. But everyone's milestones are different. Some nights he does, but some nights I'm still up at like 2 a.m. Are you still sleeping with him in the little crib?
0: Sometimes, you know,
1: sometimes, you know, I don't want to, but there are nights where I'm so tired. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get in there, just do what it takes just to get him back to sleep. But, you know, I was talking to some friends and it's so true, like these moments aren't going to last forever. So I'm really trying to enjoy them. Yeah, cherish it. And put other things on the back burner. And these are my priorities right now.
0: Yeah, because I feel like when he gets a little bit older, you're going to like miss when he was just like so tiny.
1: Yeah, and crawling on things and trying to talk and trying to say mama and dada. So I'm just really trying to hold on to it.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the relationship between Ronan and Izzy because my sister, she had a baby and also a chihuahua mm-hmm. who was named Ziggy. So it's so hard to remember the two <laughs> names. But her daughter also terrorized their chihuahua because they play a little bit too hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard. Yeah. But she actually gave the dog away, which is really sad. It's a whole other story, mm-hmm. but I can totally relate because my yeah. sister dealt with that same thing with the yeah. dog. He's getting better now. He's like soft now. I'm like, oh, he's
1: soft, soft, soft. So he's using gentle hands, as we
0: say. Yeah, Izzy's with us right now, just like chilling on the the rug, (laughs) just listening to us while sweet voices. (laughs) (laughs) So Colleen, we're at the back end of summer. What was your summer like? Do you have anything to share? It was the first, I mean, Ronan was born last summer (laughs) and it was kind of a blur, just,
1: you know, he was a newborn in August. So I can't, I was pregnant for most of the summer and then gave birth and my birth was Pretty intense. So it took a long time to heal. So this was like the first summer with him. And I wanted to spend as much time as I could just with him and with family. And that's kind of what I did. I didn't want to go. I was thinking about going to Budapest with Johnny for his trip, but I knew it would be really hard for me with Johnny working and, and staying in an Airbnb or even a hotel wherever we decided to stay, with him working and in Europe. So I decided to stay with family and spend time here and just be there for all these little milestones that he has. And it's been really great. My running has kind of taken a back burner right now in terms of competition. Yeah, we haven't really talked about your running in a while. So I'm interested to hear what's been going on. Yeah, I'm still training. I think it took me a long time to get back on my feet after the pregnancy. And then I just wasn't running the levels that I know I'm capable of, whether it be allergies or pelvic flare-ups. I just had a lot of stuff going on. But I always tried to center what I had. And that was like Ronin. Like that was like my miracle baby and everything else. It didn't make me, I wasn't as upset about all the other things that were not happening when it came to running. I'm doing the best I can. And I've decided not to compete for a while or train for anything because I really want to spend time with my son during these moments and these time. And I have a pretty stressful job and I really need to focus on that right now and on my outside projects. So I'm running, I'm going to build a base for the next couple of months. I'm going to do some shorter track intervals just to keep my base up. And then as he gets a little older and I have a little bit more energy when it comes to like sleeping through the night, then I'll start up again. But in the meantime, I'm running and I'm also working with some client. I'm coaching a couple of runners and I'm really enjoying that. And I want to just like focus on all of this stuff right now.
0: Yeah. I remember when we launched this podcast, you basically launched your website, you're coaching mm-hmm. it all at the same time. Yeah. So I know we chatted a little bit about that, but how many clients are you working with right now? Like, how's that been? Yeah, I'm working with
1: five. Um, oh, wow couple of them are in California. One is in North Carolina, two in New York. And I've always been a coach at heart, even in education. Before I worked in policy, I was a coach for teachers, helping them to understand that their teacher evaluation system and use it as a tool to help really support student learning. So I've, I've always loved coaching and I'm really, really enjoying this. I'm getting that. So fun. I love getting to know the runners and getting to know like what their goals are and just really thoughtfully and intentionally, like thinking about how I can support them. And I, I really enjoy
0: our, our calls and when they race and it's been really great. Yeah. You're part of their journey. Yeah. Did they find you through your website or did you know some of them already? Some found through the website okay. and then others I found through some friends of
1: mine. Dr. Anne Einvoy has been really helpful and has recommended a few. Dr. Hey. Peter Duggan has re- recommended some people and then others I found through just sharing and putting it out there.
0: Awesome. So we're going to transition into a mini topic for today, which is training and then what races we have coming up. And you pretty much just addressed that. But for me, you know, obviously I'm training in a new city now that I'm sort of out of New York City. And, you know, for Colleen, you left Central Park Track Club and have been training kind of solo for the last few years. Like, how did you deal with running solo? Because for me, I'm going to be doing a lot of running on my own. I do plan to stay with Central Park Track Club. That will never change. I love being affiliated with the team. And when I'm in town, I'll have people to run with. But how do you deal with kind of that daily grind being on your own? So that's a great question. I don't know. Yes, I did train...
1: A lot of my runs were solo, but not all of them. Like Central Park, just for our listeners, Central Park Track Club has very structured workouts every Tuesday and Thursday where you go and it's very organized and you're in a pace group and you're running and you're doing a workout and there's not much to think about. You kind of show up and you run. And then when I left there, I'm working with a coach who... I had workouts from. And the beautiful thing, like you mentioned, Rolanda, about New York City, is that you don't have to be in the same team. So I would definitely team up with other runners just to do workouts with if they synced up. And at that time, my husband and I, before baby, were both in pretty good shape. So we would also run together a lot. Right. He would be your pacer. (laughs) He would
0: pace me through a lot of my
1: workouts. (laughs) And now we're not in that kind of shape at all. But I had that. And I also had friends that I would just tag on to for workouts. And then other times I would work out solo. And you know what? I PR by three minutes when I started doing solo workouts, too. And I think that made me stronger just to keep that stamina up and like yeah. really support that, that mental strength that I didn't have when I was just running with the group and just looking in front of me and just trying to keep up. It was something different about some of those solo workouts that I did that really made me stronger too. So I think a combination of running with people Mm -hmm. and solo for me personally really helped me with my marathon time, every time actually.
0: Yeah, so when I'm in New York, I basically like to do my workouts with the team But I enjoy doing solo runs where I can just listen to my music in between or like podcasts, whatever it was. Yeah. So I was really into like doing my regular miles solo and then doing my workouts with the team Mm. so I can push myself outside of my comfort zone. Whereas Atlanta, it's very different. I'm doing my workouts alone, but then I'm doing easy runs Mm. with other people. So it's just like a new concept and we'll see what happens. But I agree with what you said, like being able to push yourself alone will help you have a better sense of like your limitations like when it comes to race day Mm -hmm. and you'll surprise yourself because maybe when I am running with a team I'm running too hard and not getting good recovery whereas like now I can run within myself so it'll be interesting to kind of test it out and see like what happens
1: yeah no definitely I think running with a group was always helpful but a lot of times too like people treat that like a race and I definitely raced a lot of workouts where I should have just like <laughs> paced them. That was helpful in other ways. But having that, you know, knowing your pace and just being in your head and and using your positive self-self thoughts to get mm-hmm. you through, like you're going to have stretches in every race where you're alone. And that's where it really comes in helpful.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of one of the things I'm looking forward to in my new setup is just like reframing my mindset, going into not only practice, but also races. I'm excited for you. Me too. And I don't think right now I have anything on the horizon. I just started back. My third week is this week of running after a two-week break. So I decided not to rush and put any races on my calendar and just kind of work on my fitness Mm -hmm. and race when I feel like it's time. Yeah. So we're kind of the
1: same. We're different, but we're in the same Mm -hmm. journey in that sense. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And then for you, I know we kind of chatted about this a day or two ago where you were having a hard time running, like your Mm -hmm. body just wasn't feeling well. Yeah. But you figured out what it was. So why don't you, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean,
1: I don't know if I 100% figured it out, Okay, but um, I've had a couple of races where I've always dealt with allergies and asthma and, you know, had surgery on my sinuses. Mm -hmm. And I definitely know that that's, part of it. But after having a baby too, I definitely had a lot of pelvic flare, flare ups and different things. My body just felt very different. It took a long, long time to recover. And then to be completely truthful, after having a baby too, I got very anxious, especially after my maternity leave was over and I was going back to work, just leaving the baby. They're in great hands with my in-laws. But just being out of my eyes, I just some just thoughts were coming in my head that something terrible was going to happen. So I did go on anti-anxiety meds. Mm-hmm. And the combination of all three, I think, left me where I wasn't, and also exhaustion, left me where I wasn't running in races the way I was doing in intervals, specifically shorter intervals. So I don't know if I figured it out, but I know, and my gut is telling me, and my instinct is telling me that I need to just, put competition to the back burner right now, continue to train and continue to run and continue because I love running and I love shorter intervals right now. But right now my body is not ready for anything long and why fight it? And I want to focus more on my son, making sure I'm home for him after work and before work and my projects and my job and my husband. So it's still in my life, but competition right now is taking a back burner. Oh, that's interesting. And you're okay with that? I'm fine with it. And actually, I'm so excited to just... Johnny did a 5K. He was shooting a 5K yesterday and he like sent pictures. It was like the Soka 5K. Oh, yeah. He's like, darling, oh, you would have loved this. He's like, it was so chill. There was like food, there was music, everybody was dancing. And I'm like, yeah, I still want to run, but I want to be part more of like less competition and more like just really fun, joyous. Life. That sounds so spaces. cool. And you have little Ronan in your little yeah, stroller. Like getting after it. <laughs> yeah, I'm still going to run. But right now, I mentally and physically, I'm not ready to compete. So why force yourself when your body is saying you
0: need to focus on other things? Yeah, I mean, because there's always going to be a race. You know, there's yeah. always something to train for. You have to like figure out what your path is and just stick to it. And I'm going through the same thing right now. And, you know, this is my... I say this every year, but this time I think it's true. Like it is gonna be my last year of competitive running because at some point I want to have kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm really going to put my all into this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do have a goal of making it to Paris next summer. Mm-hmm. And it starts now and I'm going to do whatever I can to put myself in the best position to qualify for the team. So, you know, I'm in a good headspace. I needed that two week break. Yeah. Now I'm in a really, really good spot. And I'm just like really excited for these next couple months to see, you know, like how fit I can get. Because, you know, we just talked to Johnny earlier and that's Colleen's partner. (laughs) For those who don't know. And he just reminded me that Paris is in July Mm -hmm. and the U.S. Trials is in June. So you really have to get fit pretty early next Mm -hmm. season. It's not like the world championships that sometimes is in August or like early September. So that put everything into perspective for me. So now I'm like, you know, really focused. And it's even though I have this large goal, it's really just focusing on the daily, whatever my task is for that day and just checking off those boxes.
1: I love this for you. And I think having that break, like listening to your body and taking that two weeks was really mm-hmm. important because now you're like recharged and you're ready to focus. And you have your short-term goal. Well, your short long-term goal, which is Paris, but then you also have a longer-term goal as yeah. well, which is having kids. So, yeah. And I like that you maybe understand like when you have kids too, it does change
0: things. Yeah. And um, some people do ridiculous things after having babies yeah. and it's everyone's return to running is so different. It's just good to recognize that. Yeah. And I love that you keep things real and you like are very transparent. There are some people who bounce back and like there was an Olympian who qualified to the world championships and she raced four months yeah, that's after true. having a baby. And mm-hmm. it's just
1: insane. But, Everyone's journey is so different. Yeah. And I thought my journey was going to be like, you yeah, did. I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to be I'm going to go, I'm going to do Chicago and I'm going to like, Sub 250, and it, that you just can't plan for how you're going to feel mentally and physically. And right now, my priority, I think more mental, is my son. And I just want to be here for all those moments.
0: Yeah, you never know how you're going to feel. And I might feel the same way. I yeah. might have a baby and be like, screw running. <laughs> or, or maybe not. In both ways, I support you. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just trying to maximize the moment that we have in front of us.
1: Yeah. And with that, we're going to switch it to our guest for today.
0: Yeah. So this is. I don't know if this is going to be a normal thing, but we did have a conversation with Johnny Zhang on the end of his trip to Budapest. Stay tuned and you'll hear a great conversation. Yep. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon. So here on the show today, we have a special guest, Mr. Johnny Zhang. Welcome, Johnny. Hey, guys, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming, Johnny. Colleen, I'll let you explain who Johnny Zhang is to our audience.
1: Sure. Uh, Johnny Zhang is a professional photographer based out of New York City. His focus is primarily track and field, along with being an amazing photographer. He's also a videographer. And a fun fact is he is my husband, and he is a father to our son, Ronan Zhang, and our daughter, Izzy.
0: (laughs) Oh, I was like, wait, you have a daughter too? (laughs) How do I not know this? (laughs) Our daughter, Chihuahua. (laughs) So, Johnny, you are off the heels of the World Championships. You just got back, what, like nine days ago?
2: Yeah, I came back last Tuesday.
0: Wow, wow. So, we're lucky to have you. We wanted to break down your whole experience. So we thought it'd be great to have you on and capture that moment again. I know it it ended a while ago, but I'm still thinking about it every day. It's just so motivating to have seen all those crazy performances. Let's kick things off. I would love to ask you, how many years have you been traveling up to this point doing photography with Sidious Mag? Because I believe that's who you traveled out there to shoot photos for, correct?
2: Yes, yes. I've been traveling for about, I think, two years with Sidious. That's a long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, a lot of the meets uh, in the beginning were in New York, in the New York City metro area. Uh huh. I think it was uh, about maybe a year and a half ago that I started going out to Eugene and the West Coast for more of the meets there. Yeah.
0: Wow. So that was a really cool experience to be able to travel to Budapest as media and to be a part of one of the biggest track events of the year. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the World Championships, the World Championships is basically the Olympics without all the other sports. So it's just focused on track and field. So all year, all of the athletes work towards either qualifying for this meet or Peaking for this moment. So super cool. Now, Johnny, did you know anything about Budapest before going there?
2: No, I know nothing about Budapest. I've never Still. been there. I've been to a lot of the surrounding countries in Europe, but no, uh, it was my first time in Budapest. So I was pretty excited that we were going to travel to Budapest for the World Championships. Did you have any time off that you could explore Budapest? or I had about like a few hours when I first landed there on a Thursday. I did a short run around the city. And then after the meet, I had a day there to kind of pack my belongings and spend about a few hours walking around the city.
1: Right. Because I know that when we talked a lot of the time, you were like FaceTiming me at least from the track or from like a cafe at one in the morning while you're editing photos. So I figured that was like pretty much all you saw Budapest.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the nine days of the meet, I was literally just shooting, editing and trying to get as much as sleep as I can, which is about which averaged out to about three hours per day. And I didn't see anything in Budapest except the track, the photo room where we edited the photos and uh, the bus. <laughs> and that's about it. Well, I know
1: from living with you that you are really hard on yourself and your perfectionism when it comes to your work. Yeah. Um, And I know that you'll pretty much do anything to get that perfect shot. You'll like climb a tree or a pole or a light just to get that best shot. What was it like working in a more structured environment? I remember looking on the TV and trying to find you and I saw all of the photographers like not even on the field off to the side in their own little area and it would seem like a much more structured environment than what you're used to what was and i see so many photographers like pointing their lens in the same direction was that experience hard for you compared to more of the the free spirited photography that you're able to take here in the city
2: of course i mean at a world championship meet you know Photography is definitely a lot harder. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't go infield because most of the infield access is reserved for the photo agencies like Getty, Reuters, AP. Mm-hmm. So we pretty much cannot get access to any to the infield. So all the shots have to be outside. so that limits our creativity. And the way that the track in Budapest was structured that was nice was that you can walk around basically the entire track on the first level without having to climb up the stairs and whatnot. Uh, but the bad thing is you can't really get It's hard to access the staircase to go up to the second and third floor to get like different shots. Oh so, yeah, it was definitely harder creativity wise. It's not as creative as, as you would want. So most of the good shots are knowing the athletes, anticipating what they're going to do and be at the right place at the right time.
0: That's such a great segue because I was listening to a podcast from Sidious Mag during the championships and Kyle Merber mentioned that He would literally see you running around Budapest with eight cameras around your neck and you're running to capture events on the field, on the track. And it's like, how do you know where to be? Like, is someone texting you? Are you sensing that something is going to happen before it happens? Or is it just pure luck? Like, how do you know where to be?
2: Well, I mean, right before every session, whether it's the morning or the evening session, we have a key sheet that has all the the times of the events that start. Mm the athletes that are participating. So once everything gets started, it's like mayhem. Okay, like it's just <laughs> straight mayhem. Like it's just crazy. Like you got the high jumpers jumping, you got the track events going on, you got the shot putters, like just throwing stuff, for, throwing, you got the discus. At any one time on the track, you're looking at like maybe three different events happening. So you have to know who the athletes that you want to capture. And usually for the infield events, you try to narrow it down to like the top two or three medal contenders or the favorites. Mm. And then you're kind of also looking at the scoreboard to see like who went first, who went last, and who's going first and who's going last. So you try to be there when that specific athlete is competing. But then you also have to kind of run back near the finish line if you want to get the finish line shots for the track event. So you really have to be like looking at the inning field to see what's going on, looking at the track and trying to figure out how much time it takes you to go from the finish line to the javelin throw and back. And you kind of have to kind of navigate that. But yes, it's not luck. It's a lot of planning and uh, just literally jogging. or I mean, just kind of sprinting around the track.
0: Wow, so you really have to understand the sport to be able to know kind of like where to be and navigate that for sure.
2: Yeah, you have to know the sport, you have to know the athlete, and you have to also anticipate the, like what the athlete will do because a lot of times you, you know, like I try to watch the athlete and see like how they celebrate because I'll give an example. Like, I forgot the name of the the the, the female American high jumper. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I oh, watch,
0: Bashti? Bashti?
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bashti? Cunningham. I remember watching her celebrate as she turn her face to the left of the mat. And with the way she celebrated, when I take a straight on shot, I see the pole right in front of me. So that kind of blocked the shot a little bit. And so the next time that she jumped, I ran all the way to the side, anticipating her to make the jump. And then when she did celebrate, I had a very clean shot of her full body without anything in the way. So that's just one of the examples of what you kind of have to do and anticipate to get a shot that you want.
0: That's awesome. I remember I competed in the world championships in 2015. And obviously everyone knows I run the steeple chase and the favorite place for photographers to be during the steeple is at the water pit. And I feel like they're just waiting for something to happen. And of course, when I ran, (laughs) something definitely did happen and go down. I fell and those pictures went so viral and I'm like, God dang it, you photographers capturing (laughs) my devastation. But when you capture the steeple, are you one of those photographers at the water pit as well? Or do you find yourself in other parts of the track?
2: Absolutely. If I have a chance to be in front of the water pit, I wait until like the second to the last lap. So I basically wait, I basically shoot six water jumps before I try to run back to the finish. If I have Mm. access to the infield, you know, like I know I'm being a little bit uh, like just thinking about myself, but I'm waiting for something to happen, right? (laughs)
0: See, I know it,
2: I I <laughs> do a face plant in there and it has happened. And sometimes, you know, like I know it's bad, but it makes for a great photo. Of, it,
0: of- it honestly does. Like water shot photos are like literally the best.
2: But I noticed recently that as I watched the steeplechase that usually the bad stuff happens on the last lap because they're really tired. They kind of trip up on themselves. Yeah. There was a face plant in the USA outdoors, but that was on the seventh lap and I was already at the finish line. So I missed that. So you know it's one of those days where you know you kind of have to think like do you really need a finish line shot because that's the most boring shot that you can get and so these are the type of options that you weigh if you want to shot if you want to wait for something to happen you know to you know and being at the right place at the right time that's kind of part of that too like
1: your your photos they really capture emotion and a lot of times they're they're just different like they're they're like lines or like lots of light or or dark like Aside from the athlete, what else are you focusing on when you're taking that pictures or anything else that helps you get
2: these very unique photos? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, when you take photos, I mean, it's not just the athletes. You're talking about all the basic principles of photography, right? Like composition, leading lines, light, shadows, etc. So you try to position yourself in a place where you anticipate the athlete to be in that position. Where the lines are kind of matched up, or the lights are in in the, in the way that you wanted. So yes, everything's pre-planned. Like you kind of have to like think about it and be in the right spot for it. So it's not you know just randomly like just shooting and and hoping you get, you get something good. Is you know you you kind of think about what you want and then be there when the moment happens. So right. So it's not necessarily luck. It's it's being prepared when the opportunity comes. Yeah.
1: And then maybe having a roommate who you can ask, like, which photo <laughs> do you like more, this one or this one and why?
2: <laughs> yeah, because, like, you know, like sometimes, <laughs> you know, when you shoot so many photos, they all start to look alike to me. Right. So, you know, having a you second, too, Johnny <laughs> having, a, having an outside opinion always helps. So, you know, whether it's video or photos or anything, because you get so drawn and attached to your own work that you think everything is great. But in reality, you know, only one percent of it is great. And you don't know how to narrow it down. And it takes harsh criticism to for somebody else to tell you, hey, you know, this isn't that great. And then you kind of have to learn that, okay, no matter how good you think you are, you're not. You know, this only like one to two percent of your photos that are really good.
1: No, it's great to be humble. Um, but for our listeners, I've looked at thousands of Johnny Zing's photos over the years, and a lot of times they look for me, very similar. And he'll ask like, which one do you like more, this one or this one? And then always
2: why? Because the why is the most important, right? Because I never know.
1: Like it just looks better. It just,
2: yeah, like it. Yeah, because for me, in order for me to understand like why a photo, why you would pick one versus the other, I would like to understand the why so that I can look for that why the next time I see it or understand for myself when something looks good to me, why somebody else doesn't like it. And you start to understand, like, you know, not just myself, it's like, you know, what is visually pleasing for, for other people as well, for the audience. Multiple perspectives.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say, I love to see your photos. You're always amazing in my eyes. But what do I know? <laughs> well, before we got on the podcast, Colleen was telling me a story about how You were, I think, in Eugene, taking photos of like the crowd, like doing selfies. And there was a point where you realized you weren't allowed to do that anymore. And you made that leap from being an amateur photographer to a professional photographer. Like, can you explain that transition when that became a realization to you that you can't just do the things you would do normally?
2: Yeah. My first professional meet was a pre-Fontaine classic in Eugene. And I think it was in 2021. When I was part of the Magic Boost program created by Chris Chavez from from City's Mag. Prior to that, you know, I've never really seen like a professional track meet, right? Like I've seen track meets hosted by Trials of Miles that had professionals come run it, but it's primarily an amateur meet where some pros come. So you have free reign to run around wherever you want. You have free reign to run around wherever you want. Go do whatever you want to do and be anywhere and to you know, take the shots and be creative. But, you know, when I realized when I went to Eugene was that there's a very, there's a lot of structure behind it about what you can and cannot do. A lot of it has to do with like NBC and the TV and not being in the way, et cetera. But, you know, one of the main big lessons that I learned from going to a real professional track meet is that you are not just a photographer. You're a journalist. Mm -hmm. You are, as a professional journalist, you're documenting the race. So at that race, I took a selfie with Stefan because all the fans got, was there taking a selfie with her and I I kind of just got drawn to the moment. I took a selfie and another media person there kind of, you know, reported me saying that I was being unprofessional and that I shouldn't be doing that, right? And I learned that, hey, you know, you're now a professional journalist as a photographer. you documented the event and you're not there to be a fan. There's a difference between a fan and a professional journalist or a photographer. Like you do, you're there to do a job. You're not there to, you know, meet, athletes, meet, be a fan, have to sign your autograph and whatnot. You're not there to do that. You're, you're there to work, to do your job.
1: Yeah. And and since that time, you've definitely become a journalist. Um, but you're around a lot of track stars. Uh, what What is that like? Are you a big... I mean, honestly, I know from the beginning that you're knowledge of a lot of the track stars was limited when you first started this. And I think now, you know, all of them um, as, you know, colleagues or friends, like what's it like being around so many of the athletes of the sport?
2: Well, I mean, a lot of these athletes, you know, they're just like me and you, right? Like just like normal people, but they have this talent to be really good at what they do. And they are really good at running, whether they're marathoners or hundred meter sprinters, they are just amazing. But when you strip that away, they're just, you know, they're, they're people, they're very relatable. They go through the same things that we go through, you know, the highs, the ups, the lows, the downs, injuries from running, you know, nutrition, all that stuff. So and, and it's, it's really cool to kind of know them on a, you know, I know some of the athletes on a little bit more on a personal level and it's pretty cool. And you know, when you see them in races, you know, they know you by your first name and, you know, they call you out by your first name and you're taking pictures of them. Like, you know, it's it's pretty awesome.
0: That's so fun. So one question I wanted to ask you, the stadium generally looked full every day. Like track and field is pretty big overseas compared to the United States. And not only that, the U.S. team actually performed a lot better in Budapest than they did in Eugene just the year prior. So from your perspective, what was the atmosphere like at the stadium and in the city during the competition itself?
2: The stadium was wild. If I were to tell anybody, you know, if you've never been to a world championship meet as a fan, you should definitely go. Like the energy is wild. When I go to a normal track meet and you see shot putters and you see high jumpers and you see triple jumpers, like, you never really pay attention to it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's whatever. I, I don't know. why. I, I was never really drawn to it. Like there's only certain races that that appeal to me. A lot of the you know races are not that it's not it's not that fun for me to watch. But when you're at a world championship, you have uh, the best of the best, mm-hmm. you know, competing in shot put, competing in pole vault, and when you stand next to the pole vault, you see how high Mondo is jumping for, it. and you're just like, holy crap, right? Like you just, you are just amazed. And at any one time, as I mentioned earlier, you have three to four events going on on the on the entire track at the same time, and the crowd and the energy is just insane. And you watch, like, you're cheering for, like, Laggy in the discus. Mm-hmm. I mean, when's the last time I've watched discus, right? And But then, like, you know, because she was, like, winning and the crowd was just chanting. And it's just awe-inspiring to just see that in person. And I think, like, it's just amazing. And I think it's a lot better. The stadium was is, like, twice the size of Hayward. And the crowd was, like, I don't know, the 35,000 capacity. It's just insane.
0: Yeah, and even watching it on TV, they did a really, really good job of like showing those storylines and having the audience be able to follow it, they had it down to a T. Like it was exciting the the whole way through. Like it was airing during the middle of my workday and I would make sure to wake up early to start work and I would just be glued to the TV so I can watch it live. And it was just entertaining from beginning to end. So I'm glad you were able to experience it, but it was also exciting for us watching it on TV, even though we couldn't be there in person. When we spoke at night, you talked a lot about all the events that happened that day or...
1: Some of the best moments, but I didn't hear you talk a lot about the marathon. Was that the hardest? I don't think was it televised? I don't think it was televised at all. It wasn't um, okay, yeah, I don't I don't remember seeing any of that on on television. Um, I think Kira got seventeenth place overall, which is totally incredible. Did you see any of the marathon? Were you there for that event? I don't remember you talking about that, Johnny.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was there for both the men and the women's marathon. Yeah, it it started really early for me. The marathon started at uh, seven a.m., so I had to get up at five to make it.
1: And you probably got you probably went to sleep at three.
2: <laughs> and I yeah, and <laughs> one night yeah, I went to sleep at three thirty, and I was just like, oh my god, I got to wake up in an hour and a half. But the marathon was very hard to shoot because for me it was very hard to move around, and I had to shoot a lot of different athletes that I had to get so. I didn't want to go too far and then not make it back in time for the finish. So I was being very careful about that. And so, you know, I kind of went out like a mile. It was a 10K loop that they ran four times. So I kind of just went out like a mile and changed. And I was out there for like maybe two loops. And I kind of came back for the last one. And to be honest, the marathon is really like the least favorite to shoot because... It's kind of, I mean, from a shooting perspective, it's boring because they kind of just run through and then you, you get one, one shot and you're done. Like, even though they loop around, like, the scenery doesn't really change that much. And I didn't want to eventually really fall out because there's a bridge that some other photographers went. But just knowing my situation, I wasn't doing a scooter or anything. like, And I, I just wanted to play it safe and make sure that I get the athletes I needed to get. And, you know, make it back to the finish line in time for that.
0: Well, I'm glad you were able to give us a little insight on the marathon, because that's one question I had. And I only knew about Kira coming 17th because I heard her getting interviewed on a podcast. So that made me wonder, like, what else happened? Because it, it definitely wasn't covered, which is unfortunate. But to switch gears a little bit, if people don't know, I'm obsessed with reality TV. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the shows I watch is Below Deck. And at the end of every season, they go around and talk about their highs and lows for the season. So in your situation, I'm going to ask you, what was your high and low from Budapest?
2: So the high was probably, you know, I, I think it was day six or seven, where I kind of, kind of got into this like crazy groove. And I had my heat sheet locked down. I had the infield events locked down. And I literally just sprinted from the finish line to the high jump to the pole vault. And then to the other side of the track, just running back and forth and all the athletes that I needed to get or wanted to get what they kind of just went in the same pace that I was running back in. And I was just literally getting all the shots that I wanted to get. And it was just, just like really, it felt like really good to get everything that I wanted to get all the creative shots that I wanted to get and be able to just get everything in like a couple of sprints back and forth. So you know, just getting that, that groove, I guess, would, would be one of you know, my highs because, you know, nine days of shooting morning and afternoon sessions, like you kind of wear, wear down and you just, there's a lot of days where you just sit in there. You're like, I can't be creative anymore. I'm just sitting at the finish line trying to get the finish line shot. So uh, that would be probably be like, I think it was a like day seven that evening. That would be my, my high. My low is definitely sleep. Right. So maybe I haven't done enough of these like world championships, but you know, I think I, from this experience, I can, better manage my time and prioritize what photos I need to get out and definitely sleep more because the lack of sleep really got to me like after like the fourth or fifth day and I just kind of just have you know chugging along in like three an average of three hours of sleep and I, it just wore me out on the ninth day I just wanted to like end I just wanted to end so bad
0: Ah. Did you express that to Colleen on your <laughs> on your yeah, day?
2: I, I think on the fifth day, I was like, "Oh my God, this thing is going like another like four days too long." Like, I just it just gotta end. And every day, it just it just keeps going and going. And I found like you know, every day, I, I able to find my second win, third win, fifth win. On the last day, I was like, oh my guys, is my last day. Like, you know, the ninth win out there, just trying to get everything you need to get. But yeah, it's very hard on the body. And, you know, I thought I was the only one who just don't know how to do this. But I spoke to a few other photographers who's been doing it for like 10, 15 years. And one of them was like, yeah, I, you slept three hours? I only got like half an hour last night. I almost pulled all night. I was like, holy crap. Like, okay, at least I'm not the only one that's not. Managing my time well, (laughs) so I don't feel that bad now. But it's good. But it's a grind. It's definitely a grind out there.
1: I think you did manage your time pretty well. I think there's so many events to capture every day, and then the editing. I I know how how long that takes. Um, But you said that you would manage things differently. How, How? Like, what would you do differently? Considering there's so many events and so many things to get out in such a quick deadline.
2: Yeah, because I think one of the main things is I I shoot a lot of the athletes in in a lot of the competitions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing I try to do is before I go to sleep, I try to edit everything that I shot that day Mm -hmm. that is good and that I can use, you know, in the future. But I think that process takes too long. And I think I just needed to edit the photos that I need for the day versus everything that I want to. Mm -hmm. So that would have saved me at least like one or two hours per day just doing that alone. And, you know, and maybe just even taking less photos Or these new cameras now, you know, you you they, they shoot in burst mode and, you know, you're holding on down a button sometimes and you're shooting like 20 images per second. Wow. <laughs> and it adds up pretty quickly, right? So, you know, one of the things that I try not to do and you get carried away, especially when you get really tired is, you know, you get lazy, just kind of hold on the button, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're in the right place waiting for the moment to happen, but you just kind of hold on the button a little bit too long. But I think like if you're sharper and you can anticipate certain things happening, you don't have to shoot in burst but you can kind of just do single shots, just anticipating what's happening, right? But that takes a lot. For me, that takes a lot of focus. And when you get tired, you kind of lose a little bit of focus and you kind of just, you know, press press that button longer than you need to. So I think like if I have more sleep and more focus, I could probably do a better job of managing that.
0: Yeah. And Colleen, you almost had an opportunity to go. I know you were back and forth between, I'm going to go, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to go, going to stay home. Do you regret not going after all the championships? Or are you okay with staying <laughs> back? I'm, I'm okay with it just
1: because of, you know, if if circumstances were different, I would have been on that plane in a heartbeat with Johnny. Um, but with Ronan, it was I, – I was thinking about bringing him, but I think our first trip to Europe while Johnny's working, it would have been – Great to see some of the meets, but it would have been really, really difficult without Johnny's like support in Europe with the baby. So I think watching daddy on the screen or trying to, um, and watching the meets from Massachusetts where I was with my sister during that time was like the best decision. And as he gets older, we'll, we'll take a trip to Europe.
0: Yeah. Part of the fun of watching um johnny at meets is to catch him on tv i'm like i saw him and i'll snap a picture and send it to you all excited (laughs) (laughs)
2: you know yeah now i realize sometimes i'm on tv you know you know i try to look for it too you know
0: (laughs) you're a star man so to close things out i thought it would be fun to kind of go around and say what each of our favorite moments were from the championships and also our biggest surprise so i have mine i'll let you kick it off johnny
2: I must say that the favorite moment was when Noah Lyles got the 200 goal because then he made his promise of getting double goal in the 100 and the 200 meters. And I was like, wow, like I was so happy for him. He had his mindset on it and, you know, he he got a double goal. That was a great accomplishment. So that was one of the highlights for me. And the biggest surprise is when Lagi won the woman's discus. So <laughs> that was the favorite. And, you know, she, I think I think during that throw, like Val has the highest score, which I think was 68 something. But it just kind of went a little bit over that. And I was like, holy crap, like she beat Val and which threw the competitor completely off. But that was like the biggest surprise moment for me. I was like, wow, like, I did not expect her to win goal. And that was probably one of the biggest surprises and biggest upset in that competition.
0: Yeah. I don't even think she was supposed to medal on paper. And she had a super huge PR. And after she did that, it was just like, let me just keep going and see what my body can do. And the same thing with Noah Lyles. Like he had this idea in his head and he definitely delivered on the day. And uh, I just saw that he pulled out of the Diamond League final and is shutting his season down. But he did what he needed to do for the season. And now I'm just excited to see what he can pull together for uh, the Olympics next year. So it's gonna be really exciting.
2: Oh, so I think there might be another update. He might be doing the final. No way. Yeah, I think one of his tweets says that there might be one more final, one more 100 meter in me or something like that.
0: Wow. Okay. So we are recording this on <laughs> September 4th. So <laughs> we will see what happens because the final is, I think, mid-September.
2: Yeah. It's September 15th, I think, or 16th.
0: Are you going to be out there for that?
2: The plan is yes, but, uh, you know... It also depends on, on significant other.
0: I wonder who that is. <laughs> so, Colleen, what was your favorite moment of the championships and your biggest surprise?
1: Oh, my favorite was probably Noah. I'm not trying to copy Johnny, but he's talked so much about him. And I remember last year at World Champs in Eugene, he took what I thought was an incredible photo of Noah when he had like ripped off his shirt. Oh my God, that was epic. And since then, he's followed him or seen him at different meets and talks about him a lot. So, Like what Johnny said, he knows he's athletes, then he brings the stories home to the house. And I'm like, so when he won the double gold too, I was like very, very, very psyched for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Okay, so my favorite moment of the championships was when Jakob Inkebritsen got second in the mile, in the 1500, I'm sorry, to Josh Kerr. Mm but not only that he came back and won the 5000. I was the most excited about that in front of the TV, yelling, screaming, banging on the little console. So I was totally into it. And then I guess my biggest surprise was Shakari Richardson winning the 100. Like I knew she could do it, but I think beating Team Jamaica, having overcome all she did since, you know, she came on the scene and was undefeated, like it was really really exciting for her. And then also in the rounds, I think in the semifinals, she almost didn't make it. She qualified with a small Q, ended up in lane nine and still came out with the win. Like that was really emotional. Like I think I cried when she yeah, crossed the finish line. Too. Yeah, so it was just a really great championships there are so many great performances all around and just to close this out i just want to really thank johnny for coming on and taking the time to talk to us because i know you're still recovering from <laughs> lack of sleep in budapest and um it's just really exciting to have you and kind of sharing your overall experience from budapest and i know you're probably still thinking about a lot of the moments that you shared over there and we appreciate you kind of diving deep into the overall experience yeah
1: thank you john it's good because johnny has a tendency of like just came back we had to work the next day and like just go 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 and like sometimes it's good just to sit back and reflect on some of these bigger moments so you're welcome
2: (laughs) (laughs) thank you for having me yeah it's i'm still definitely recovering from the world champs but and i can't wait for that one day where i'm gonna be there as a fan and not have to work so Mm -hmm. hopefully that day will come soon
0: yeah and if people want to kind of follow you or check out your work where can they do that
2: right now it's, it's the best place is Instagram. Uh, Instagram, my handle is jzsnaps, jzsnapz. That's where most of my work is displayed.
0: Okay, awesome. So guys, check out Johnny Zhang and all his great photography. And we look forward to seeing some of your future projects.
2: Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks,
1: Johnny. See you soon.
2: Yeah, I will. Yeah.